0: Hi there, welcome to the More Simple Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age, and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn, you are inspired by them, and that you get the courage in it to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride, and thank you so much for listening. Well, welcome back guys to the podcast, this is Mo. Today's topic is um, super important and has a lot of relevance, not just for the individuals that we're going to talk about, involved in it, but also I think um, as a way to educate people like me and for those that are listening about just you know how sometimes we need to be very careful we listen to on the media because so many stories are not being told so we hope that in this next 40 whatever minutes we spend together on this podcast today we're able to like you know leave something with the listeners above all for you to have this country in your heart and prayers because they will really need that Pending when things you know change for a little bit so after 23 years um, of war the taliban has seemed to have swept to victory in afghanistan afghanistan is a central asian country that is predominantly muslim population, and for many years, women have become the pillars of the Afghan society. The Taliban, however, took over power and took away the rights of these women. Today, I'll be having a conversation with Arzo, who's an Afghan American in the U.S. I'll also be talking about the country and what her the initiative her organization is doing to really help those that um, have been rescued so far. Arzo is not new to the podcast. She, I also follow her on Facebook. She's amazing. She does a lot of work with um, sex trafficking and foster care. And so, Arza, welcome to the podcast. And she's also the CEO and founder of Sexy Buzz Babe. Hello, Arza.
1: Hi, Mo. Thank you again for, for having me here today. And thank you so much, so much for sharing your platform to have this conversation so that we can educate people, so people can really become aware of what's going on.
0: Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Let's just start with the first question. How are you doing like today? I mean, I've been following you. I mean, I've been following you for a while now, but recently your feed keeps coming up because I keep going to your page to you kind of catch up. And you've been posting a lot. Um I imagine it's sort of because sometimes I read it and I you know it stays with me and I, I pray of course. But how are you doing in the light of what's happening in your home country, Afghanistan?
1: Thank you. Um today, you know, it's a Saturday. Today's an okay day. Um uh but it's it's been tough. It's been really, really hard. Uh and um, as, as we, as the news keeps coming in and we find out what's going on, it's, it's traumatizing for the community. It's traumatizing, obviously, for what people are going through back in Afghanistan, but even for people in the diaspora, um, that are trying to help or raise awareness or whatever that everybody's doing. It's, it's heartbreaking. It it hurts. It hurts because we don't have control. Um, and to see your countrymen, it hurts.
0: Well, I mean, I'm a Nigerian here in the US. I've been I've lived here for ten years. But sometimes when I hear things about my country, I feel that survivor's guilt, and it stays with me for a while. And also when when you like last year we had a, um, a massacre really happen in Leki, which is a suburb part of my of my country in Lagos, um, and it stays with me because. You don't know what's going on. So you sometimes want to overcompensate, And you're thinking, what should I do? Then you think you're just this individual. There's only Mm -hmm. so much you can do. Fine, you bring somebody on the podcast to talk about it. But it's Mm -hmm. overwhelming because the problem is so much. What was why I was asking about how you were doing? Again, um, if I speaking about the media, a lot of what I know about Afghanistan, before meeting someone like you, I think you're like the second um, Afghani I've ever met in my life. The first one was someone in grad school and he was a very nice person. But we didn't have a lot of conversations like you and I are having right now. What I know about your country really hasn't been very good, you know, and it's what's been shown in the media. I think about Afghanistan it's not on my bucket list of places to go before even talking to you, but um, I just wonder why do you think you know um a lot of what we know about countries like yours is so contrived, and why do you think the media just goes on having to like you know tell that danger of that single story
1: i mean I think it's it's um uh, without To to say this carefully, it's unfortunately the media, they have their narratives and they have to follow narratives that are given to them. That's just, I think in the last couple of years, that's become apparent to everybody. And especially with what's going on in Afghanistan now, as somebody that posts a lot about what's going on on the ground, um, uh, directly through sources from Afghanistan, that stuff's not being covered in the, in the news. Why? If, If there's journalistic integrity, why is that not being covered? So it, it's there's certain narratives I believe that have to be upheld and so they, they're they not covering everything I think that the way that the media is today is very different than the media was in the 1980s so this is something that people just need to be aware of uh, there are changes that need to happen and I know there are groups of journalists that have uh, 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 kind of come together to uh Dispel some of these things and lift the hood on these things. There's a lot of these types of things going on in our world right now at all different levels. It's not just the media. Uh, so there, there are things that we, as a, I think a society, want to uh, make it seem this is what Afghanistan is, or this is what's going on, or Afghans didn't. Uh, pick up arms to protect themselves or the soldiers or this or that but nobody's talking about the real reasons why America was in Afghanistan for you know, the last yeah. 20, 20 years Nobody yeah. Not, yeah nobody's talking about what why Afghanistan is a place that people want to go to why is that not being covered it's one of the most important pieces of information in the world so you know maybe we can talk about some of that stuff today
0: we should definitely do that um, so let's let's to take it back to your country a little bit um there are over I think up to 40 million in your country and when I think about Afghanistan as a whole like from what I've read about it it's definitely a beautiful place and I think what most people don't know about it that it's very multi-ethnic and it's mostly tribal you have a lot of you know um, population that has like different, you know, ethno-linguistic groups like the Pashtun, the Tupman, the Baloch, the Pashai, Uzbek, Hazar, just to name a few. And I look at the pictures, the beautiful mountains, the just the history. But I even reading the history of your country and even what is it right now, the very fabric of, your cult, of the culture of Afghanistan, Afghan people, having been turned by war and, you know, a lot of just, you know, bad stuff going on, bad governance as a whole. So maybe just paint the picture a little bit. What was the Afghan, you know, um, Afghanistan like for you growing up? And uh, maybe even talk a little bit about your family going on before you left the place and what made you guys leave because i know that story but i think i'll, have, I'll yeah. listen
1: thank you so um uh, i was born in kabul afghanistan I, I live in america i've grown up here since i was two years old so america's all that i know but i was born in kabul afghanistan and um i'll, I'll tell you a little bit about our family and just kind of the structure of afghanistan so when i was born afghanistan was still a monarchy so today there's some form of, of of a democracy, but that wasn't the case back then, and prior to that, um, Afghanistan has been a uh, a, a, a monarchy for um, uh, for thousands, thousands of years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, it's it's a tribal country. So there's a lot of tribes. Uh, there's 34 provinces in Afghanistan. Um, each one of those provinces might have like a thousand villages or districts. Um, and so and, and just like, Mo, you were saying that it's multi-ethnic and multicultural. It is. There is an Afghan culture and there's an Afghan pride amongst everybody. But all the different areas, they have their own uh subcultures, their own, uh, forms of dress, their own forms of just, just different things, uh, even dialects and languages. And so, um, so that was kind of afghanistan as a whole um and uh uh, my great uncle was the, the prime minister of afghanistan like in the 60s and i think i we talked about this before he used to come to america and take meetings at the white house with uh jfk and lyndon b johnson and whatnot and during like the 60s and like the 70s they were really trying to democratize afghanistan and move a little bit more towards westernization women started going to uh you know, college and university, and becoming nurses and doctors, and uh, people um, as a part of society. Um, the uh, Zaire Shah, who was the king uh, d- during that time, uh, he and his wife, uh, the the wife, I believe, she took off her 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 hair covering, and so this was like a first step towards women empowerment and towards the, uh, that lifting the veil of oppression against women in Afghanistan. And women took to it, very much so, uh, particularly in the Kabul region. But um, we had uh, so many members of our family held positions um, in the government. There were governors, senators. um, And so our family was part of the ruling class in that regard. And so when in in the late 70s, there started to become a rise of a communist group that in Afghanistan, they were called the Parchamis, and so they were uh, Afghans uh, that were um, uh, I- idealizing communist values and working with the USSR. And at the time, the USSR was a world power, and so they were taking over different countries. And so these Parchamis were working with other communists within the USSR, and they essentially started a coup. And so they did a coup; they overthrew the government. Um, we were all in danger of being killed. The king went into exile. Uh, so so a lot of things happened, um, a lot of disharmony. And uh, uh, most of the people that were part of the ruling class, if they were not killed, they fled the country for safety because th- literally these communists were coming into people's homes with guns and gunning people down. Uh, there's people today that if we go to a, a, a party or a wedding, there's a, you know this older woman that my mom will point out to me and say that. Uh, she was in, in the royal palace when they came in and they gunned down her whole family and she held her children's lifeless bodies in her hands. Uh, so so those are things that, that had happened. And so we escaped in that 1980. I was born in 1980. We escaped, uh, went through just I mean, uh, we were on donkeys and my parents were carrying me uh, in a blanket between these donkeys and we went to a village that were taking in you know a few of us that were coming in to hide us uh we stayed in underground bunkers there was a afghan army truck that we were waiting for to pick us up and they came and the whole truck was filled with bodies of dead soldiers and we got into this truck and they took us to the next destination until we get to pakistan and then from there germany they were taking refugees and finally we came to america as political asylum refugees
0: Wow. What a story, um, Arthur. Like, it's just incredible. Um, I imagine that even the idea you have of what that place looked like has, has really changed a lot because you haven't been there, I imagine, since, you know, you escaped many years ago as a, as a child, correct? Correct. Yeah. Do you still have family? Any um, remote family members left in the country?
1: So during that time, uh, most of the family left, uh, thankfully. Um since then, there were periods of peace in Afghanistan. So pe- some family members went back to c- reclaim land, uh, to build businesses or, you know, do things with real estate and whatnot. So we do have some people that have gone back. I have an uncle that lives there. He left uh, sometime, I think, in the 90s and he-, he was remarried and has a child there. So he's there. Um, so we do have some family. Uh, we've checked in with our family members. Thankfully, they're safe. Uh, they're in provinces that are away from Kabul. So they, they seem to be safe, thankfully, for now. Uh,
0: this next bit I'm gonna run try to run through the history of your country and um a lot of what I know is from watching YouTube videos and of course reading some history books. But again, um if there's any holes that needs to be poked in this, let me know. Because I, I feel like setting this um template down will help further the next set of discussions we're gonna be having. Especially about, you know, um the resistance and of course the Taliban as well. So from what I know about your country, it was, you know, it's always been tribal, yeah. But then um, they've had also a lot of influences. They used to be hippie trail way back in the 70s. And women, you know, they were as free as they could be. And they could, you know, go work and take up positions. And then you also talked about the monarchy system. And I think um, that was um, the one I, the last king I heard about was Zahir Shah. And he, he was think touted as one of the very best things that happened to afghanistan at a point he even like you know um made the office of the monarchy really very titular they didn't want to have any form of power over the people so it was more of a decorative role and then i think his cousin um what was his name was i forget that, that, would, is it that, that would, or yeah that Khan? yes yeah the his his cousin you know plotted a coup against him and before you knew it they also sent a lot of scholars and A lot of the military men to the USSR to go learn about war tactics but the downside of that was that it came back with the you know um, Marxism and Leninism policies that um, was kind of like you know seeping in in a very organic and insidious way into you know the very I guess what it meant to be Afghani and of course Kabul has always been that center where you know, it's Kabul, um, like, you know, sneezes, everybody catches a mm-hmm. cold. But then you have the other rural areas, which, you know, they were kind of slow to, like, adopt a lot of these practices. But by 1970, Afghanistan was like a booming Western middle class that, you know, um, that had a lot of things going for it. And then, you know, Daoud Khan enacted in- 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 that coup, established himself as the president. And in 1978, he was killed by the Soviet you know military. They invaded Afghanistan and they propped up a pro-Soviet government. And in 1980, you know, um, a million Afghanistan civilians, they defected to Pakistan because of the, you know, contiguous nature of the country. Pakistan and Afghanistan, you know, share border. Afghanistan is actually a very landlocked country, so they have a lot of countries, you know, that borders around it. Now, in 1986, the U.S., which is what they usually do when there's always like a power vacuum to the field, they, um, they start supplying the resistance with you know, um, ammunitions, anti anti craft you know, um, missiles to fight spread against, um, fight the spread of communism, um, which was, you know, heavily influenced by the Soviet Union. But we know that in the 1990s, the Soviet Union, you know, fell as were and um, the civil war followed by Taliban role. And then sometime in 1992, I think, there was withdrawal of Soviet forces and that, you know, um, also led to the crumbling of the Najibullah pro-communist government. And the Taliban, I think, came out of that, which is kind of the saddest thing because when we usually go to the extreme of things, the, the almost like that mutant you know, law of action, there's always that equal and opposite reaction that comes to take that place. And Taliban, to me, seems like an ultra-conservative you know, Afghan student warriors, and they emerged from the Mujahideen groups, which were those that were sponsored by the U.S. and Saudi Arabia then to, you know, um, fight against um, Soviet Union rule. And they took over the, um, um, the southern city in Afghanistan, which is the Kandahar, and they promised to restore order and bring greater security. Um, but then they also brought with them the harsh interpretation of Islam on the territory they controlled. I also think Africa played a role in that because they of the Egyptian scholars. Yeah, they came as well to, you know, they brought their own brand of Islam into the country. And in 1996, you had the Taliban taking over Kabul. They captured the former president and they killed him and hanged hung his body from a, a lamppost. And from the 1990s up until then, you've had a lot of, you know, countries trying to, you know, gain control of the Taliban. You've had Pakistan, you know, imposing their own um, influences, Saudi Arabia, of, Saudi Arabia, of course, and the United Arab Emirates. Now, um... 2001, the U.S. came and they were trying to, you know, retake control of many areas. They used the rural footholds to advance onto cities. And, but then, now you have the US trying to leave, or actually, they've, they've let's just say they've mm-hmm. left, and Taliban comes, and so I, I just let's just stop here because there's so much history to be lost. Um, from what I've said so far, is there anything that you think is critical that that needs to be talked about before we just talk about you know what that really means as far as the implication of the vacuum the US is leaving and the rise of the Taliban? as a it did.
1: I think you did actually. I'm very impressed. You did a really good job of uh, of, of explaining the the historical uh, uh, events and some of the nuances because the, it's, it's just, it's not readily available for people and they don't understand. So I think that you did a really good job of, of covering all those different pieces. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I don't think you really left anything out. I think it was, it was pretty, pretty thorough. I'm, I'm pretty impressed.
0: Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> now, um, the U.S. being on your, in your country wasn't necessarily always a good thing. And I'm always very skeptical about good intentions that tend to stay very long. Because um, I still always just take it, follow the monetary, follow the oil. You know, how yes. many millions, trillions of dollars have been spent in Afghanistan? Yeah. Where has the money gone to? So I'd just like to ask from your perspective, what does it mean for Afghanistan right now for the Taliban to be coming back?
1: Sure. So I, I think you touched on a lot of really important things um, and to even ask this question. And I think one thing that humans all over the world have a have a innocence about us, that we truly put our blind trust and, in our authority figures and assume that they're always going to do what's in the best interest of the people. And unfortunately, that is not true. That is not true. Um, uh, power corrupts people. We have, the world has changed significantly. The world is global at this point. Uh, commerce and um revenue is everything so when people go to war in countries it's not to liberate people it's not to help people it is to feed the military industrial complexes so um uh this 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 20-year war and this is not a secret this is not a secret it's just not something that's common conversation it's everybody knows this uh this 20-year war in afghanistan or you know uh, uh, uh foreign occupation or you know whatever you want to call it um it could be for a a reduction of tax basis, Uh, uh, spending billions of dollars into a war. It reduces a country's tax basis. So this is, this is a truth. Um, Additionally, uh, those monies that go into these types of, you know, Wars. Uh, uh, who does it feed? It feeds the Lockheed Martins and the Northrop Grumman's and the military industrial complex. Like, like I said, they are the ones that profit from this. And where are they based? They're based in America, so it, the money comes back to America. So I, I'm not saying this because I'm anti-American. I love America and I love the traditional American values. Um, I don't agree with what leadership does at all times. So this is something that I don't agree with, but who am I? I'm not someone that has that, that, that kind of power, that kind of say, um, we, we also right now with what has gone on, everyone's blaming president Biden and the way that he did the withdrawal. I don't agree with that was the one of the, I mean, uh, lack of thinking. I mean, I mean, for, for God's sakes, I mean, uh, uh, someone in high school would have done a better job, but it's, it's not entirely his fault. No, this is not something that should be on, uh, you know, where Biden, uh, uh, carries that entire burden this is a trump issue this is an obama issue bush, this is a bush, obama.
0: Bush, bush, reagan. Senior,
1: bush senior reagan yeah it, it, it goes up yeah. and this is you know an issue this has been everybody is complicit in what has happened in afghanistan this is planned this is known uh so this is not a surprise This is not a surprise and it's it's not okay and things need to change collectively in the world so yeah have to ask you the question, Before
0: before I ask you the next question, like from your um opinion, like Taliban you know coming back, how did you feel about that, and what kind of emotions like were evoked in you when you first got that news?
1: So we were watching the news, um, uh, you know for for probably since since July really closely, and I, I I wrote a letter to to a senator and you know trying to get it to Congress and everything like that to put some attention and to bring help because the troops were starting to withdraw, and then the withdrawal started to happen. And so we were watching it and it was just devastating to know that the Taliban is going to start taking over and to take control. It was unbelievable to everybody, to myself, to everybody in the community, that this is actually something that could happen, that we're going to hand over power to the Taliban, to a terrorist organization. Um, And uh, it was was probably the moment where uh, they, they were taking different provinces and it was just devastating. So we were just crying a lot. I mean, myself, everybody in the community. Then the Taliban put up their flag in Kabul. And when they raised their white flag in Kabul, it was like, it was, I mean, Mo, I was born there, but I grew up in America and I love my traditional values of being Afghan, but I'm very American. I cannot explain to you what happened inside of my body when I saw that flag.
0: Hmm.
1: It, it felt as if my soul had died. <laughs> and I was I was surprised at my own reaction. I didn't know that I could physically feel like that, physically feel that type of a pain. For three days, I, I it, oh, it felt like the organs in my body were shutting down, and I thought I was going to die. With Afghanistan, it, it it made me understand the plight of indigenous people even more than what I empathetically understood it as. Um when you're from a land you are connected to that land and I didn't truly understand maybe theoretically but to really feel that that you are connected that land is inside of you you are inside of that land the the, the land has a soul and it's and it's and you can't break away from it and if you break away from it it there's it changes who you are as a person so for a few days I literally was just walking around like a zombie and as a as a as an Afghan woman that was born in Afghanistan, I get a lot of my strength and my sense of identity from being Afghan. And not just because of what has happened in the last 20 years, because that's what the world knows. But Afghanistan historically is a place of strength. It is a place of tradition. It is a place of, of, of power. It's a place of, of, of compassion, of, a place of warriors of people. We have never, as a, as a country, have allowed any country to take over. We have won every single invasion that has ever happened in thousands of years, from from uh, Alexander the Great to Genghis Khan uh, to 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 the British. I mean, to the Soviet Union. All of these different things, and so it gives me a sense of of confidence. It gives me a sense of personal power that this is where I come from. These are my ancestors, and to see that flag go up, it 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 was like my identity was shattered. Who who I am I right now? <laughs> hmm. Later, I heard about Ahmed Massoud leading the resistance, and when I heard that, because of okay. his father, who was the lion the ship, who, who took down the USSR, yeah, that yeah, gave me yeah. such hope. It was literally like life was breathed back into my body, into my soul, and it was like this vision came into me that, like, he's going to lead Afghanistan to peace, whatever that means, that is right and that makes sense for Afghanistan and for their people but he's going to be the one that's going to do it. So that gave me a lot of peace and hope. And after that, because I saw just within our community how hopeless everybody became. I was hopeless. Everybody became hopeless. And as a human being, the moment that you lose hope, there's no hope in life. It's the end. It's the end. So I just changed just everything. End. I just yeah. have focused on yeah. being yeah. supportive of Ahmed Massoud and his efforts uh, and 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 lifting people's spirits up in the community that there is hope. And I and I believe it. I believe it with every ounce of my being. Thank
0: you, thank you, Arzo, for that. Um, even as we were talking, I can I can just feel the pain, and um, th- this this is a lot, and this is one of the reasons I brought it to the show for. people to realize that when we see those headline news on major um, TV. Stations about certain countries like Afghanistan. What you get to hear in the media, it's not always a true portrayal of what's going on. There are people whose lives have, you know, drastically changed. Um, countries are countries. People are people. People who can't even afford to sleep, you know, with their two eyes closed at night because they don't have that sense of security and safety i mean arzo is you know living here in the u.s she's american as can be but you can still feel the connection she feels in that country and, and even trying to see what she can do to you know, educate the public and also help those that are stranded so this is some of the things i want you guys to focus on when you think about countries don't always buy everything you, you, you hear on, on tv and all that now we're going to talk about Aman masood soon but I just wanted to, you know, dive a little bit more into politics. Um, and as a point of correction, the U.S. has spent, I think, $2.26 trillion, not $22 trillion. So I think, um, so speaking of Congress, I feel like there needs to be an independent commission to show exactly where that, you know, $2 trillion went and how the U.S. taxpayers were robbed. And the U.S. government has allegedly sunk a lot of resources to um, enable the people to enjoy, you know, what they call democratic Democratic dividends i mean even the last president he he fled with a lot of you know money and left the country um, and apparently one of the, the a huge chunk of the money was mapped to train afghan forces to be able to you know um, counterattack you know taliban groups now with the taliban taking over prof, um, provinces why does it seem like there's no IOTA of resistance at all a um, uh, sub question to that would be you, is it that the afghan people prefer, like, you know, the Taliban role to that of the democratic government, because I imagine that um, the U.S. being in Afghanistan, I I don't think it's, like I said, they probably had some good intentions, but they might not have really, you know, done a lot of good things in the eyes of the local. I've read reports about rapes uh, um, by, you know, these forces, or even looking the other way, because the people doing the rapes were the people that they were trying to, you know, have in power. And so I, th- I can imagine how that can even affect the psyche of the locals. They're like, we don't trust these Americans. So I'm just curious to know those two questions. First is, why do you think there was almost like no resistance um, until you know before Ahmad Massoud came into the um, play? And does it does it really mean that you think some Afghans might even be supporting the Taliban after being under 20 years of you know American rule?
1: So from what I understand, um, uh, there's there's a couple of things. Um, Prior to, or just as the American troops were leaving, the Taliban was um, uh, talking to the uh, Afghan soldiers and asking them to put their arms down and that there will be no conflict if they just comply. For about six months prior to this withdrawal, um, the funding to the Afghan uh, army uh, and Afghan soldiers stopped. So these soldiers have been um, working for the last six months without any pay, no food, uh, you know, they're facing poverty. Their families are facing poverty. So when the Taliban came and basically, you know, it's like the Americans are leaving. We're taking over. They've handed power to us. So don't fight. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. So just don't fight with us. We're not going to fight with you. And I think because of that, that was a big reason why they put their weapons down. I think that um, from what I also see and I hear from on the ground, the Afghan civilians do not uh, want to support a, a, a Taliban uh, government. It's, it's, it's not a government that is, uh, the Taliban is not comprised of predominantly Afghans. There's a mix of Pakistanis and Saudi Arabians and people from other countries, from other Islamic countries, uh, with, like you said, you said something earlier, a brand of Islam. There's a brand of Islam that they're, that they're portraying that is not uh, the original or real Islam. Um, so the uh, from from the civilians, they are not supporting this new Taliban regime. And uh, the, there is a civilian uprising, which is happening uh, across the board, all over Afghanistan. So true, there's a lot of Af- Afghans are very, Afghans don't give up. So I know Biden gave his speech and saying that Afghans, you know, they just gave up. Afghans do not give up. Real Afghans do not give up. And so there's civilians all over Afghanistan and different provinces that um, have picked up arms and they are willing to fight to their last breath for Afghanistan.
0: Well, if you can look back at the history, like you said earlier on about how you've not allowed yourself to be invaded by you know, powerful forces like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan, if that could be looked upon, I just, you know, let's just join on hope from those historical events. My hope is that, you know, the people of Afghanistan would, you know, rise up and, you know, counter against these terrorist groups, you know, forming up. Now, um, let's talk a little bit before we talk about um, the resistance cropping up, let's talk a little bit about U.S. influences. I feel like there's always this pattern the U.S. has when they try to exit their, I guess, um, influences on other countries as a way to serve as the middle ground even though, you know, I feel like sometimes there's nothing really middle about it. Now, just taking a a little page out of the history book so um in it was in Nicaragua the contra group in, in Nicaragua which were the resistance group um they were supported by the um the CIA, to fight against the Sandinista government. In Korea, you know, they propped out Syngman Rhee, who did a lot of atrocities by killing people that they thought were communists. And he became the first president of the Republic of Korea. And that lasted until 1960. Why did the U.S., you know, give support to the Mujahideen group? Because the Mujahideen right now, I think, is mm-hmm. has become that bastard child, which, has, which is now what we now call, you know, the Taliban group. What's your view about you know, foreign influences, like those from the U.S. bearing gifts that end up not being, you know, gifts in the sense of that word?
1: It's, you know what, I think that it's, um, I, at the time it, it, was, it was necessary for the entire world, not just for Afghanistan, but the world. Um, at the time of the Soviet invasion, um, and, and you know, you mentioned a few key things. Afghanistan is landlocked. Afghanistan is in a very interesting and strategic place in that part of the world, Um, And so with the USSR uh, taking over and taking power, um, they were a huge threat to the United States. They were a huge threat to the United States. And so um, uh, the objective was to reduce that threat. And because of the invasion of Afghanistan, it was a, a perfect opportunity to create some kind of defense against the USSR. The way that Afghanistan is strategically... Located the way that the terrain is it's a very there's mountainous regions, mountainous areas It's very difficult to for um, trained military professionals to really understand the terrain and understand the land to be able to create strategic ways of targeting groups so this is a, this is a benefit that Afghanistan has, and it's one of the main reasons why they've been successful in defeating any enemies um, so what what the United States ended up doing is um, uh, put in a lot of money um, artillery into supporting the Mujahideen at the time, uh, to, to fight the USSR. And so much money was spent in that USSR put so much money into that war to defend themselves. And they were ultimately unsuccessful. It collapsed their economy. It collapsed their entire economy. The reason why that the USSR collapsed was because of this, this war in Afghanistan. And they never wanted to, you know, uh, 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 you know, continue that after they finally pulled out their troops. I think when, when, when Gorbachev came into power. Um, so it was necessary, but here's the problem. And this is, you know, again, I I'm not, you know, somebody that, you know, anti-country or anything, like I said, I'm a, I'm an American patriot and I love America. Uh, but the, one of the huge problems is you can't go into countries and do this and then not have an exit plan or what's the follow up. And this is a part of just the evolution of government and politics that is is a problem and that we need to figure out what is that evolution so that we don't continue these kinds of problems. You can't go into a country and throw this kind of money and put power into these groups and and, and military support and weapons and then just abandon it and leave. Um, So, you know, there's power vacuums that happened at that time. And then, you know, these different groups started to raise and other influences like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia got involved in bringing their terrorist organizations in. And so here is this Whole evolved version of what might have been the original mujahideen, it turned into something different, which is the today's Taliban, which is even different than what that was in the you know 1996.
0: I mean, it's quite sad. I think you said it best. Even though they had good intentions and they probably were trying to help. Not having an exit plan, it just makes everything you've yeah. done so far look very childish. Because now it's like, it seems like everything that has been done yeah. is almost like going down the drain. And because that was so swift between the U.S. even announcing their plan to leave Afghanistan and the Taliban taking over. It was it, almost like a revolving it door. was absolutely- You know? Gave me like a headspace. I was like, "What the heck is going on?" Like, they almost—I'm sure they've been doing it. And I think it also speaks a lot about intelligence the U.S. had on on ground. How did you not know they, that was? They knew, happen?
1: of course they knew. You know, I mean, how can you not know uh, that?
0: You know how say, a,
1: a, a, American intelligence is not going to know that? Are you kidding me? They can—they can target through 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 drones <laughs> at nighttime and night vision and target a a, a, a terrorist and and drop a bomb you're telling me that they didn't know this of course. I mean of course they know it's just not part of the plan anymore you know well, plan.
0: that's it that's it's it. It's it it's not being a priority I guess now now, let's talk about um, Ahmed Masoud, not the uh, Lion of Panjshir, but his son. You've, you know, really talked about how you're supporting any resistance against the Taliban is where you're putting your money into. Now, um, from what I've read about him, his manifesto and I've seen him, um, mm-hmm. I've seen some interviews of him. So for those that don't know, um, his father was, you know, he was, was a strategic war general and um, he's the only son of his father and he was trained in London. So he's not, like, just a nobody. He comes from a family of warriors. Now, his hope is to spread power and resources. So we've talked about how um, Afghanistan is really, you know, very tribal, and they have different provinces. I think about 34 of them, like, you know, Arzal mentioned earlier. But Kabul has always been, apart from me being the largest, is also the capital city. So his hope is really to spread power and resources so that Kabul doesn't have that um, power it's had in the past, and then other parts of the country can have their voices represented. So he wants to decentralize the government so um every province every ethnic group has an equal say in governance and, and voting power mm-hmm. now um that's a very good plan but what do you have to say to, to this um, um, opposing view and this is by mm-hmm. um Tawad hamidi on facebook i read his um blog article on medium and I, he responded to me because i asked him a question about what he thought about um a he said um Ahmad is a 32 year old kid who has no military experience or any other experience his father has decades of guerrilla experience and was a master war te- tactician, but very weak in strategy. Panjia is not the same Panjia of the 90s, and the Taliban are battle ready. In the pursuit of his father's legacy, he has the blood of thousands of Panjaya in him. A wise leader knows when not to fight and safeguard his people. I think the deal offered to him was decent and workable. But him and people around him wanted 30% of the government and Armullah declared himself as de facto Afghan president, challenging the new Taliban regime. I also believe he's being propped up by elements from outside at the detriment of innocent Afghans. For three years of war has caused significant bloodshed and I don't want to see any more bloodshed. Even if I don't like the Afghan regime in place. Lastly, I have been to Bajan. I love his people, and he's very respectable, mm-hmm. and he goes on about talking about that. But I think the premise of his response is that he doesn't think Ahmad is well equipped. What he's really riding off right now is the cocktails of his, you know, um, of his father. What are your thoughts about this?
1: So, um, you know, it, it, yes, Ahmed Masood is a young man. He's a young man, he's 32 years old. Uh, but he was trained by his father until he was 12. His father is an unbelievable man, and so he homeschooled him and trained him in guerrilla tactics and strategy. So he received that information until he was 12. Um, I also want to just point out that an Afghan 12-year-old is very different than an American 12-year-old. Uh, uh, these kids that grow up in Afghanistan, they become adults at, like, age 3. So uh, it's 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 a different type of person. Um, he also, after his, de- his father's death, he uh, uh, became educated in international policy in London, uh, he got his um, masters in war strategies, uh, and 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 he went to I, I don't remember the name of the, of the of the college, and I should know that. King's
0: College, yeah. He studied yeah. Taliban studies, yeah.
1: Yeah. So he is he's extremely knowledgeable. He's well equipped, and um, uh, th- we don't have another hope. This is it for Afghanistan. So when I have conversations with people, I don't even debate this. There is no debate. Um, what is happening with the Taliban in Afghanistan? this is not just a, let's just leave it alone and these people need peace. The Afghans civilians don't want the Taliban there. They're oppressing women. The oppression of the women is is a is a humanitarian uh, a crisis. this is this there's human rights violations going on. This is not just a, let's the Americans left and now the Taliban are here, and it's just going to be peaceful. This group of Taliban, which also there's something else called ISIS-K now that's there that, that opposes the Taliban and they have this other uh, really strict view of what Islam is or what whatever. These people are people that were brainwashed and grew up in madrasas. That's what everybody needs to understand. These people don't understand God. These people don't understand peace. These people don't, for anybody, for any human on this earth that uh, 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 has any understanding of, of goodness, of anything that's good, Music is something that is, that is a divine creation. Women are a divine creation. They're the closest thing to God that exists in human form. They're against women. They kill women. They are kidnapping women and forcing them to become child brides. This is not peace. They're already establishing that. If, if, if I'm coming in as, as a new government and I'm claiming we're going to create peace, the first order of business is to make everyone in the country to feel comfortable through my actions, so that they know that peace is going to ensue. These people from the moment that they have raised their flag are beating women on the street, are are killing women, are kidnapping women, are locking women up in basements of garages, are destroying musical instruments, are setting schools on fire. They are, not only are they not uh, Muslims, not only are they not for peace, this is what evil is. This is what evil is. Evil is a disconnection from your essence as a human. Evil is the not understanding of, of humanity and human rights. That is what evil is. And unfortunately, like I said, these people have been tra- uh, trained and brainwashed in Madrasas. Many of them have been uh, 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 molested through growing up. So unfortunately, they these people need a lot of rehabilitation and therapy. I'm not one to promote the killing of anybody. Um, we are in a time of war, and war times are different. It is what it is, unfortunately. Uh, uh, you know, if it was up to me, I'd have I'd have Ahmed Masood capture all the Taliban and put them in a peace madrasa where they where they learn about peace and how to be a kind human and rehabilitate them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you said it, you said in a very articulate manner about just when you go back to basic rights and women, women have played such a pivotal role in Afghan, you know, um, history. And it's so painful that this has not even become a worldwide movement. We've we've done protests for you know things less than this, which is why I feel like we need to focus on the people there. We just think of a country as a monolithic you know thing like oh this whole country is like that, and I think that makes us feel comfortable when we hear the bad things happening to them, right? But when you hear about women being killed or even girls being kidnapped and raped and forced into you know um, early marriages and being banned from schools or you know you know having freedom to do whatever they want to do and seek their own happiness. It's a fundamentally you know, um, human right issue. and I don't know why this has not become a global movement. You know, it needs to right be now. a global
1: movement. This needs to be a global movement. It needs to be a global human rights movement. Um, th- this is a women's right issue. Um, this, is, this is We are in a very pivotal moment in human history right now, in, in human civilization's history. We have to determine, and I, I've said this on a local level within my community, but now I'm going to say this on, on a global level uh, where it's not just about Afghans. As a human society, we have a choice right now to continue to close our eyes and live our comfortable lives because life is comfortable. Most of us live very comfortable lives. We have warm beds to sleep in. We can open our fridge and get a snack. We can go to the grocery store and pick up whatever we want. We can go to the fancy restaurant in Beverly Hills and have a beautiful steak dinner and send our kids to camp and attend a theater with our friends and drive our fancy cars. And... Who am I to tell anybody not to live that life? You've earned it. You deserve it. Why not? Or we can take this moment to do what's right for humanity. And right now, what is right for humanity is to stand with the women in Afghanistan, is to stand with the civilians in Afghanistan. What is right is to not turn our backs on what's going on around the world. There are things that are happening, not just in Afghanistan. There are things that are happening in Africa right now. There are child, child brides, it's, that's normal, that's that's happening in different countries in Africa. We, as, as women, we need to come together. As women, we need to come together and, and to fight for these people because they don't have a voice. And those of us that have a voice, we have a duty and an obligation. And if you're gonna live your life on this earth, there's nothing more important than fighting for human rights. We are lucky, we are the lucky ones. I am lucky that I get to live in America. I'm lucky that I get to call myself an American. So I have a duty to those that are being oppressed in other countries, especially my country, Afghanistan, which I will fight for.
0: I'm glad, you know, people like you are doing that because God forbid we wait for the media to do that. And it's why I still want to draw from what you said about why we just take it back to the basic unit of measurement. These are people's lives, you know, that are involved. You have women, you have men, you have children. And what people, you know, regardless of what country, we we don't choose a country we're born into. These are just geographical lines that are that are cast you know way before we 're even born. We have nothing to choose about how what country we're born into and I think so taking it back to human rights and having people like pursue whatever you know um happiness means to them, but how can you do that if there are bombs going off um your head like you know um Toppings of on on, on a pizza, but for example, so it's why you know I think what you're saying is so important, and I wanted to just highlight the you know the importance of that. Now, um, that's, so I know one of the things you're also doing is, so I know you have an initiative where you're you know connecting refugees to resources. Can you tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about that? where people can find you if they need to like you know maybe help out or maybe make some sure um, well? yeah.
1: So as a result of this crisis, you know. Mo knows me. I don't have time to do this. I have my job. I've got my life. I've got my business. I don't have time for this. But it doesn't matter if I don't have time. I have to make time for it. And people in our community are making time for it. Because if we're not making time, no one is going to make time for them. So um, we started an organization called Help the Afghans. It's a grassroots organization. The website is helptheafghans.org. And it has very quickly become the centralized hub for the uh, incoming Afghan refugees. Uh, So we are working to provide um, uh, emergency housing through Airbnb, through hotels, through different means, and set them up with uh, jobs, uh, set them up with resources so they can not just... Uh, you know, a- a- arrive and be struggling, but have a community of support behind them that will help them navigate America, life in America, to find a path of independence and success. This is the country of, of achieving the American dream, and it is possible. So uh, 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 in, in, in a sense, they're lucky that they came here too, because it is going to take a very long time to rebuild Afghanistan. So uh, we want to be able to welcome them with open arms and teach them how to be American and be good Americans. Uh, So that is one part of it. The other part of it, there's a lot of unaccompanied youth that are arriving, uh, orphans that are arriving straight from the orphanages. They've been rescued through secret ops rescue missions. So we are working with uh, various organizations um, that typically receive these refugee uh, youth and trying to get Afghan family placements. Uh, We very quickly were able to establish this database of thousands of Afghan families throughout the United States that want to take these youth. So we're very grateful to the community that has stepped up this way. Uh, but but we need to make sure that we get these kids placed with Afghan families. If they're not placed with Afghan families, they get put into the foster care system. And I'm a longtime advocate of uh, foster youth. The system is very broken, and if they get into that system, we're going to lose them. So uh, I, I'm working night and day with lots of different people and lots of different groups to make sure that uh, we, we help these kids stay with Afghan families.
0: All right, I'm going to put that link on there. And so, guys, go check it out. They have, you know, how you can donate, how you can even get involved, um, advocacy as well. And if you're if you find if you want to adopt a family or things like that, they have those ones now. Um, what you hope for Afghanistan? Like, I believe in the power of words, I believe that we create you know our own universe. And you know, even as a Christian, I believe that my mm-hmm. words have power. So, if you could speak power, you know, into a, if you speak words into existence, knowing that it bears so much power, what would you like to speak into the existence of your country? Thank you for of allowing me
1: to have that opportunity. I, I believe in my heart, I believe in my heart that this is a moment of darkness and whenever there's a moment of darkness, light comes after. I believe this. I've seen it. Um, and I believe that when we get through this moment of darkness for Afghanistan, which we will, uh, through the power of the resistance, Ahmed Massoud, uh, President Fale, um, and the power of the women. Those women are protesting. Those women are getting out into the streets and fighting for their rights. Um, And I believe that there is going to be peace in Afghanistan. It might take a little bit of time, but I believe that we'll get there. I believe that there is going to be a period of abundance. Afghanistan has so much to offer. Afghanistan has, uh, I mean, the the largest reserves of lithium, uh, gemstones, one of the largest uh, diamonds uh, that's that's at the Royal Palace in, in the UK came from Afghanistan. These are things that people don't know. Afghanistan has so much to give she is waiting for the right leadership. And I think that that's going to come, uh, pretty soon. So I believe in that. And I believe in a, in a future of peace, happiness, and abundance for, for the Afghan civilians. I pray. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. No, and
0: then, how, like, if you could have a pat like, reflective words for the listeners, what would you like to say to those that are listening?
1: I want to say that as individuals, as humans, sometimes we think that we don't have power. We have a lot of power as an individual. Don't ever underestimate what you can do as one person, what you can do as a community. If you see injustices in the world, stand up for those injustices and do something. Um, get Get involved at a local community level. Do something for your country. Do something... For, for youth for vulnerable populations, don't turn your back on them. Uh we, we owe it to them. If 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 we're the, the the majority of the world is feeling oppression and if we're here and we're okay um it, it's it's all of our duties to look after those that are vulnerable. It's 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 in the Bible, it's in the Torah, it's in the Quran uh and if you're a human of any essence you already feel it and you already understand that.
0: Hmm. Well, guys, you heard it, you know, um, beyond just talking about the country, those are words like live by. Whatever you have, there's always someone that might need a little bit of it. It could be your time. It could be your resources. Give a little and, you know, um, use your power for good. And there's no better time to be reminded of that than now. Um, thank you so much, Arzo. I, I joined my faith in years and I pray that, you know, peace is restored soon. I know the last time a lot of people heard about Afghanistan was when the Afghan girl that made the cover of, you know, was the Times Magazine, Shabbat Gula, the green eye with the red veil. Um, and I hope that someday your country, you know, flows with milk and honey. The, there's been a lot of lust, uh a lot of like, you know, um, historic relics, you know, bombed and, you know, taken away. People have been displaced. I pray that, you know, there'll be that free flow of, of people, of goods, and it's going to be on travel places soon where people can feel free to, you know, have Italian pasta, American jeans, Dutch bicycle, French perfumes. Um they can have their hippie picture if they wanted, leading from Europe to India. Um, and, and just have, you know, ways to like pursue, you know, life to the fullest. And so I wanna say thank you. I know this has been a very rough time for you I and mean, you're currently in the heat of it. It's not like some nice past tense. It's a present progressive for you. But I wanna thank you for your time and for really teaching us a lot today. And and you know so um Please keep safe and take some time off for yourself. I know you're very sensitive; you feel a lot of stuff. It stays with you, but I hope you find ways to, you know, um, take a deep breath and, and focus. Because I pray for you and for all of the Afghans as well.
1: Thank you so much, Mo. I appreciate this. Thank you for doing your part for humanity to give the Afghan people a voice. This was such a big deal. I'm in such gratitude on behalf of the Afghan people. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, thank, God. <laughs> thank
0: you. All right, guys, check out the episode and don't forget to catch up another episode of Municipal Podcast as well. I remain your host, Municipal. Bye for now. All right, it's gonna come out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morisible Podcast. Many thanks to everyone who helped in making this episode come out together nicely. First thanks goes to my dad, Mr. Femi Yugusaya, for providing some questions that really helped with this episode. And I also like to thank a gentleman on... Facebook. His name is uh, Mr. Tawab Hamidi. I had reached out to him after seeing one of his comments on an article by the economist, and he was um, kind enough to provide some insights as to those questions I had asked. So many thanks to those individuals. Guys, check out the show notes, links to the resources that I used, including a link to um, Mr. Hamidi's article on Medium. And don't forget to check out Arzel's website, helptheafghans.org. I'll be putting that link in the show notes as well. I hope with all this said and done, we are all going to be able to say Zindabad, Afghanistan. Long Live Afghanistan. Bye for now.